What's up and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower and to start off we've got some exciting news. So finally we have a start to the college basketball season. Today, literally just like an hour ago as we're recording on Wednesday night, the NCAA has finally announced the start to the college basketball season. So it'll begin on November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. Teams can start practicing for up to eight hours on the court and four hours off the court starting September 21st. Official practice can begin on October 14th. The maximum number of games has been reduced to 27, but four non-conference games are recommended. The NCAA also voted to keep recruiting visits off the table until January 1st, so players can't visit on campus. And there's not gonna be any scrimmages or exhibition games this season which we've known for a little while. So Megan, what is your initial reaction to the news? I feel like my initial reaction is pretty positive. Just that, I mean, this day has been floating around for a while, but if we're only delayed by two weeks, I feel like we should just all consider that a win at this point. I think right. everything's obviously, I mean, they're saying this now, it's no guarantee that it will start on the 25th at this point, I feel like. But hopefully if we can start uh, college basketball on November 25th, I'll be pretty happy. So I think generally good news only uh, like four game mandatory reduction. So there could still be quite a few college basketball games. So I think it's a good sign overall. Yeah, I agree because there's still like obviously so much to figure out and so much still up in the air just with the virus and with everything else. But you at least have something to look forward to. And now athletic directors are going to be able to start building towards something and you can start making plans for whether it be tournament bubbles or travel contingencies and things like that. Now you can really start to put those things in gear and get them going. So I think it's just nice to have something down on paper, even though, yeah, like maybe November 25th isn't the start date, but even if it's delayed by like a week or two, that's still really, really good because some of the early predictions were thinking that it might not even start until January at, at the best. I mean, some conferences have even already canceled until January. So having the point to look forward to and start building around, I think is really important. The tricky thing I think for at least UConn is you definitely really hope that non-conference isn't just totally eliminated by this, which it seems like there's some, momentum to non-conference plays with tournament bubbles happening. I know Mohegan Sun's been brought up a lot to host a number of tournaments just with all the courts that they have and can set up. But another report said that some of the power five schools are possibly thinking about only doing conference only and which worries mid-majors. But I think that should worry UConn because as we've talked about before, the Big East is definitely a step up from the American, but it's really not that significant. And not just for the quality of games, but for a preparation standpoint, UConn needs some of those high-end non-conference games against the Baylors, the South Carolinas, those high, always top five teams to challenge themselves and kind of give them a measuring stick because they don't have that in the Big East. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think, like you said, a measuring stick for one. With women's college basketball, the top is just kind of like its own elite group, and there's a big drop-off kind of between that group and the next level. So without 
kind of playing a handful of those teams like UConn does every season, it's really hard to measure kind of where you stand compared to you know the elite competition that UConn obviously hopes to be facing in like a Elite Eight Final Four situation towards the end of the season. And then also just for preparation for the tournament, right? I mean, if they're only playing Big East schools all year, they're not getting any of those tougher challenges under their belt, um, especially if they start, you know, in Big East, they're probably going to run away with a lot of games winning by 40 every night over kind of not top talent isn't going to help prepare you for the tournament down the stretch. So kind of goals that UConn obviously has every season it would be really detrimental to them to just play conference play. Right. I also feel like, after a certain point, it would get way too repetitive of playing the same teams over and over again. Like the Big East is already on a double round robin schedule. So you play everyone home and away, but who knows? Like I know for fall sports before they got canceled, the Big East was going to do regional play. So they split into East West conferences. The East was UConn, Providence, Seton Hall, St. John's, Villanova, and Georgetown. If you're only doing regional play like that, you're probably going to play these teams like three, even maybe four times. And it would be one thing if it was a really good team that you're playing, but UConn would probably be heavily, heavily, heavily favored to win every single one of those games because the two top teams besides UConn in the conference are going to be Marquette and DePaul. And those guys are going to be out West. So I think if anyone really, really needs to benefit from non-conference play, it's going to be women's basketball. But I did see a quote from David Benedict. He said something like he doesn't know anything about whether or not there will be bubbles, but he'd be surprised if there were bubble tournaments formed for the men and the women's teams are just kind of left out to dry. Yeah. I mean, I would hope if they're going to do it for the men, they're going to do it for the women. I don't I feel like there probably is some Title IX implications of not doing that. So hopefully that, if I mean, it shouldn't come down to that forcing it, but hopefully that will force it if it needs to. Um, but I would assume, yeah, some of the kind of higher caliber women's tournaments. I mean, the women were supposed to play at uh, up in Springfield at the Basketball Hall of Fame with Mississippi State, and I'm blanking on the other schools that were in that tournament. So hopefully some of those. in Maine, I think. Okay. So yeah, it's other than Mississippi, that's pretty regional as well. So hopefully they'll find ways to kind of bring in some of these bigger tournaments or restructure some Thanksgiving tournaments to get some bigger non-conference games on the books. Right. Like maybe Baylor or South Carolina isn't realistic, but I feel like there's enough schools in driving range or maybe close enough where you can fly in and out on the same day where you can play them in non-conference and not need a bubble and not need to expose yourself too, too much to other people on the campus or hotel staff or anything like that, especially because UConn travels by charter, but jet anyways. So it's not like there have, there are health concerns with traveling on a normal plane with other people who you don't know where they've been. Pretty much everyone that's going to be on the plane is going to be screened, tested, I imagine. And so for UConn, I don't think traveling's that much of an issue. It's probably a bigger risk just when you're staying in the hotels and having to go out to eat and things like that. I think that's probably where it's a little trickier to try and travel and probably where you'd have the bubbles. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think otherwise you can kind of pretty safely play um, teams from elsewhere. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I just... I don't know. Obviously, everything's kind of up in the air still. 
I wonder, I mean, even like some of those big games that you can't play are technically like one game tournaments like Jimmy V Classic and things like that. So I wonder if they'll find a way to kind of leverage that to bring them into these bubble situations. I'm just like dreaming, but I would like love if they would just do like a basically a woman's version of like championship classic. Just be like, oh, well now schedules all up in the air so we can make it work and bring in like a UConn, Baylor and, you know, Notre Dame, your top South Carolina, your top kind of teams and do some kind of tournament. Right. I mean, that would be just from a basketball standpoint, that would be phenomenal to watch, but yeah. Obviously, I don't think there's going to be fans in the stands this year. And if there are, it's really not going to be many. So that would be a huge ratings draw, especially if you had the games in prime time or maybe you piggyback them with a similar men's tournament where you could try and draw in both audiences. Yeah, I I feel like pretty much all the contracts for non-conference games this year have been ripped up. So why not just go big like that and have something – where you can get all the best teams in one spot and play because you need some way to make money. And I think that would draw a lot, a lot of eyeballs. Agreed. Yeah. It would obviously be a huge ratings boost for the women's game. We only get usually a handful of those games a year. So if you can kind of group a bunch of them together from the teams that don't face each other in conference, why be awesome. Hopefully someone listens to this and thinks that's a good idea and makes it happen. We can start exercising our influence if we find out that whatever we say gets listened to. I'm sure that's definitely happening. So continuing on on the good news, Doug Bonjour of HerCT reported that UConn is finally practicing with its full team. I know when Gino met with the media, I think it was in early August, he was hoping that like the week after he met with us that the team would be together practicing and they'd be out of the pod system, but took a little longer than that. But I think it's a really good sign just that everyone's staying healthy and that the protocols are obviously working. If the team's able to move beyond that, even though obviously UConn's had some issues with COVID cases in the general student population, since people have moved back, I know they shut down an entire dorm quarantined at Garrigus and then the football team had a handful of cases, but I think it's a really, really good sign just not even for the season, but just for the general well-being and health of the team that they're able to move into full team practices. Agreed. Yeah, obviously super important for preparing for a season that is now kind of pending, I guess, coming. Um, So yeah, good news. And like you said, UConn has had its fair share of issues. I mean, I think every college campus in the country has had its fair share of yeah. issues at this point like nothing unique to UConn it is kind of the issue that everyone's facing trying to bring lots of students back um, and you know keep the COVID situations under control but good to see that it hasn't spread to the basketball team at this point. Right and even though they're in full team workouts I imagine they're still pretty strict with the pods where they're only allowed to play or meet up and hang out with the people in those other apartments because if you're practicing together there's no reason you can't spend time outside the court together but it seems like they're pretty good about staying away from other people and keeping to themselves and obviously not opening their little bubble to outside influences so hopefully that stays just because you obviously don't want to see anyone get sick but i think 
the momentum for the season is really there. And one of Gino's big points was that he has no idea how long he has to just be in this kind of limbo state of working with his team, but not knowing how long it'll last. And now that there's finally a date, I think the team will finally be able to start working towards something. And Gino's going to be able to build a practice plan that kind of starts to ramp them up to the point of October 14th when they can really kick things off. Yeah, that's a really good point when, you know, you have no answers about when things are starting. It's very hard to plan for what kind of workouts you're doing, where you need to be when, with a, even if it doesn't necessarily start November 25th. Like With that date in mind, you can start working towards that, from working towards the start of practice, and then also a practice plan for working from, you know, first day of practice to when games will actually start. So gives them kind of a little bit more uh, security around what needs to be done and when. Right, for sure. So we actually have some, not breaking news, but some new information coming along live as I'm looking at Twitter. So the NCAA just announced that all athletes are going to be free from any practice and athletically related events on election day, both this year and going forward. So it's going to allow student athletes to get out and vote and NCAA doesn't do a lot of things right, but this is definitely the right action to take, I think. Agreed. It's kind of, I think we've seen a lot of um, activism around this kind of idea going into the season, right? A lot of um, organizations have been formed around getting college athletes and college students in general registered to vote and making time available for that. So good to see that it's not going to be left up to kind of a school by school basis that the NCAA has said, like, we're doing this. It's really positive to see. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we're going to go from talking about the start of the season to the end of the season right after these ads. And we're back. So WNBA regular season just wrapped up. Playoffs started last night on Tuesday. Let's first focus on the end of the WNBA season. So Megan, what are your biggest takeaways from the UConn in the WNBA this season so far? Yeah, I think a couple big ones come to mind. The first one is obviously Brianna Stewart is back. She's back from that Achilles injury and playing at an MVP level. Kind of didn't really miss much of a beat this season, which I think was really positive to see considering you know, an Achilles injury can be something that takes a long road to recover from. Uh, and it was kind of you know the earlier end of the recovery timeline for her to be back at that level for this season. But to see her there is great. Um, I don't know that she's quite going to win MVP. We'll probably get to that in a bit, but it'll still, you know, it's still good to see that she's playing at that elite level and one of the best basketball players in the world. My other big takeaway is that Nafisa Collier just continues to be so underrated. I was going down a rabbit hole of all her stats earlier this week, but just the numbers that she put up this season are absolutely like insane i think when i was looking at it she was at i think 16 points nine rebounds and three assists a game she shot 50 percent from the floor 40 percent from three basically just missed having a 50 40 90 season on her free throw average um so this is a really impressive season for her for the links and the type of numbers that she put up haven't been put up much it's like lisa leslie candace parker and Neko Gumake have basically put up a similar season before, and they all won MVP that year to just give some context for how good she is. Not saying that she should win MVP this year, just I feel like Colliers could very well be an MVP player one year, and I don't think people are really giving her that level of respect yet. Right. Like, 
she was one of the best players in the league last year as a rookie, obviously one rookie of the year. She's clearly much, much better this season. And it still doesn't feel like people put her in that tier. Like, I don't think she's Stewie level or Asia Wilson level because those two seem to pretty much be a cut above everyone else this year. Mm -hmm. But she's definitely like right below those two. And I, I don't know, like, is there... I just can't figure out why she doesn't seem to ever get the accolades that she deserves at any level in her career. It makes no sense to me. Even in college, the same thing happened. Yeah, I don't know what it is either. I feel like part of it is that she like, doesn't have a really like flashy game, so that's a little bit of it, but I don't know what it is. Like you said, in college, I mean, in college, I feel like when you look at her numbers and where she finished at UConn, like, she's in the tier with your, like, Maya Moore and Diana Trossi, Sue Bird, Tina Charles, like her numbers are right up there with all those players, mm-hmm. but like no one really even talks about putting her in that group. I don't know if it's just because like people come down from like, start winning four championships in a row and it's like, oh, well, maybe it's only one. one. Well, she, she did make three other Final Fours as like a lead player on the team, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about her game, but she constantly kind of gets underrated. Yeah, and I think we also can't talk about the 2020 WNBA season without talking about Crystal Dangerfield. I mean, just start to finish, she was phenomenal, and she finished with a higher point-per-game average than she had as a senior at UConn. Like, to be able to do that, step into a really good, not like the best basketball league in the world, and raise your point-per-game average, it's just incredible. Yeah, she just had a phenomenal rookie season, probably a little bit unexpected of a rookie season, but just really impressive overall. I mean, if she doesn't win rookie of the year and win it like anonymously, I someone has some explaining to do <laughs> because there's there's no one else that really touched the level of production and efficiency and uh, what she did for the Lynx this season as a rookie. So I don't know when those awards are coming out, probably in the next couple of days. So hopefully it'll be made official. I mean, she just got named Rookie of the Month again by the league, which was there was only two months of the season and she won both Rookie of the Month. So <laughs> I guess she should be Rookie of the Year too. But. Right. I'm not sure what type of mental gymnastics you would need to do to argue that someone other than the person who won Rookie of the Month in the only like two possibilities to win the award isn't the Rookie of the Year. I would like genuinely just love to hear that argument because I'm curious, but she also won the AP rookie of the year, which isn't the official league awards, but I know the media, there is a media vote portion of the league awards. So that probably indicates she's going to win rookie of the year in for the league as well. And I, we should probably just start a riot if she doesn't like it. Yeah. I can't imagine a snub bigger than Crystal not winning Rookie of the Year because there's just no one even close to her, I don't think. Like, the level of consistency and, like, how well she performed in and out every night. Like, I don't know. Am I wrong? But No, you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. She was by far the best rookie in the league this year. I have a feeling she's going to win it. Uh, everything that I've seen on, you know, and read about people's award picks and where people think things are going to fall at all. Obviously, everyone's saying it's her. I don't really know how you craft a strong argument for anyone else. Kennedy Carter and Santi Sable have been good, but they haven't been nearly as good as Crystal has been. There's just really no argument for anyone other than Crystal to win the award. Okay, so I have just been named WNBA commissioner. I have awarded you 
total supreme power to make the league award picks. What do you got? Well, like we just discussed, obviously Crystal for Rookie of the Year. Um, MVP is such a close one this year. I, I can argue myself into both ways. I think Asia Wilson's going to win it. I think there's an equally good uh, argument for Stewie to win it. Um, I probably would have gone with Stort, but I don't think that's what we're going to see in the results. I have a feeling kind of that last game, I feel like, between Seattle and Vegas, I feel like pushed it over the edge a little bit, which isn't totally fair considering Stort didn't play. Like, I think, you know, Seattle's probably the number one overall seed and best team if Stewie's on the court. But um, Asia did have a really impressive game to kind of secure that for Vegas. So uh, I get the argument there too as well. Then uh-huh. there is, what, sixth player of the year? Yeah, sixth player of the year is Dierka Hanby from Vegas, no question. I don't think – Bria Hartley would have been in that conversation, maybe the winner of it, had she not gotten injured. Her injury is obviously really unfortunate after the season that she was having, or just unfortunate in any circumstance. But um, she definitely would have given Hanby a run for the money. But without with such a short season, missing like a couple weeks of play is just such a big deal at this point that there's just no way. Right. Pretty much any any injury to anyone knocks someone out of the like race for whatever award they were going for. Right. Uh, is it most improved or yeah, most improved? Yeah, right? most improved. I think that one's going to Laney on the Atlanta Dream. There's a couple of Mystics players that could be in the running for that one as well. I don't really know. Either than, well, I guess Bria Hartley could have been in the conversation for that as well. I don't really know that any other UConn player has had kind of that big, like, most improved breakout season this year to be in contention for that award. Um, I feel like everyone that was already good stayed good. You can't win most improved as a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, like, she's probably from where she was in college to now, like not even disrespecting her college mm-hmm. game, Crystal is extremely improved. Like, right. <laughs> so what does 16 points per game in the WNBA translate to in college? Probably like 20 points a game. So she's six points a game better than she was in college. Like, I don't know. I would vote for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I assume this is a pretty easy one, but comeback player of the year. Yeah, definitely Brianna Stewart there. Um, I don't think that's actually one that the league doesn't do. I think that's an AP award only. But, oh, it doesn't? Yeah. Um, would be definitely Brianna Stewart, obviously. I mean, she came back from a huge injury and played at MVP level. There's really not any argument there. Yeah. <laughs> that one's as easy as rookie of the year with Crystal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was no. going to say the other one is defensive player of the year. Oh, that's right. Yep. Which I do think Navisa Collier has a shot at. I don't know that she's going to win it, but – she should definitely at least be in the conversation for it. Um, I actually think she would be my pick. I think what she did defensively for the Lynx, considering the absence of fouls for 90% of the season, has been extremely impressive. It's a big part of why the Lynx got that number four seed. Um, I think there's a couple other names you can kind of throw in the hat there. So I think that's actually probably going to be one of the like widest spread on votes. Like, I feel like everyone, every other award, right, there's like one or two people that people are kind of down to where I feel like defensive player of the year, I've seen a lot of kind of wide open um, thoughts on who that should go to. Okay. So I'm being told by some sources that I actually haven't been named WNBA commissioner, which is unfortunate. (laughs) So apparently your picks aren't valid, but (laughs) we can still do some chasing perfection awards. So 
out of the UConn players, who's your most outstanding player? Real tough one here. <laughs> Brianna Stewart. <laughs> Who'd your number two pick be then? Nafisa Collier. Okay, who's your number three pick? Is it someone that we haven't talked about? Oh, that's a hard one. I have to think about it. I feel like those two jump off the page at me in terms of you can play. Oh, number three, Diana Trossi, obviously. Sorry, I don't really know why that took me <laughs> to think about. <laughs> I was thinking like, hmm, I would probably pick Diana Tarasi here, but like Megan knows a lot more than I do, so stay quiet. <laughs> nope, just uh, spacing out over here. Yeah, no, definitely Diana Tarasi, who <laughs> should be first team all WNBA, I would assume, this year. So... Um, yeah, no, Tarasi has been excellent for Phoenix. Who is your best player on a new team? Player on a, new team. a lot of movement this offseason. Yeah, I feel like even with the two missed weeks of the season, Bria Hartley, just what she did in Phoenix compared to what she right. did in New York. Yeah. Most underrated season or performance? Underrated. Can I say Nafisa? I already talked about it, but I'm still going Nafisa because I just don't feel like she's not getting the amount of respect that she deserves for what she did this season. See, I feel like maybe it's just because I'm mostly in a Yukon bubble on Twitter, but I feel like I always saw people kind of giving Nafisa her due. I mean, maybe not. Who would your second pick be for that? Who had a good season that wasn't talked about much? <laughs> I mean, like... I feel like Diana Taurasi could be an answer for this. Like, I didn't see a ton of people talking about her ha- doing much this season besides telling the ref she was going to meet in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. Like, Which that was pretty much all I had heard about Diana Taurasi <laughs> throughout the season. Yeah, actually, like, Taurasi does have an argument for this, which just seems ridiculous to say that we're talking about Diana Taurasi being underrated. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, no, there hasn't been a ton of hype over her play this summer, or this, yeah, this summer, I guess. Um, and um, she's consistently been one of the best guards in the league. Like, I really do think she should be a first-team um, all-WNBA guard. So she hasn't gotten that level of hype. So I think that is actually a fair pick there. Also, sidebar on that um, ref comment, if people haven't seen that video that was on Twitter that was just like a <laughs> collection of random things that Diana Trossi has said, go watch it. It's a good five minutes of laughter coming your way. <laughs> I was about to put that. And then the follow-up of the Sue Bird one, I like no offense to yes. Diana, I thought the Sue Bird one was 10 times funnier. <laughs> I don't know. I still thought the Diana one was funnier, but the Sue Bird one was pretty great too. <laughs> God, I hate public speaking. I feel great. You know, I had a couple beers last night. I was ready to rock today. Well, uh, understated during your intros out there, Diana. I don't dance for free. Okay, next award. Who is your overperformer? Someone who did better than expectations? I feel like the automatic answer for that is just Crystal. Like, no yeah. one expected that Crystal Dangerfield was going to be starting and doing what she did this season. So, definitely Crystal. Who's your number two? Because I'm trying to get to the players that we haven't talked about. <laughs> I know. My number two would still be Bria Hartley, so that's not helpful. Because we are okay, on, you know how it goes. No, on to number three. <laughs> number three. Hmm. This is tricky. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Oh, um, Azari Stevens, I think. Even though she left early with that injury, I think what we didn't see a lot from her in her first kind of two seasons in the 
WNBA, mostly just due to injuries. But I think everyone kind of knew that Chicago was going to be a good fit for her. But I, I was really impressed with her this season. I think she was a big piece of what Chicago was doing and why they were doing well. And I think you see it in the way that Chicago has kind of spiraled and suffered since she left. Um, Diamond DeShields left as well, but DeShields hasn't really been healthy all season and didn't play that many minutes. So I think a large part of it is they were lacking Stevens on the board and um, in the front court. And I think it's been impressive what she's been able to do there. So then who underperformed the most? Can Nurse. Such a rough season for Can Nurse. Um, yeah, I, was, I, I was just thinking how I didn't think we had talked about Kia Nurse throughout all three of these podcasts we had done at all. Yeah, I just coming off of so much like hype, I feel like off of her last season, right? She was an all-star in her second year. She had a, despite New York not being great, she still had a great season last season. She just, as she really struggled with her shot. I mean, she was coming back from injury. So that's, I mean, part of it, right? She went down in the first game of the season or yeah. came back from an angle injury. But yeah, I think she shot something like 25% from the floor or something this season. It, it was not a great year for Kinnerce or the New York Liberty in general. So um, hopefully after this offseason, she'll be back, you know, up and running at sophomore Kinnerce level. And obviously there's a lot of youth talent in New York that once they get those pieces healthy, hopefully it'll be a little bit more fun to watch New York next year and they'll win more than two games. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned about Kia Nurse. I feel like you always know what you're going to get from her, and if you try and put the whole team on her, that's just not who she is. She's not right. never going to be the one that carries a team, but she's going to be, and I don't mean this in like a negative way, but like at UConn, she really wasn't a star. She was just like the best role player you could have imagined. And I know like role player kind of makes it seem like I'm saying she wasn't good. No, she was really, really good at UConn, but when it came down to it, she was basically a like amazing three and D player. So yeah. I, I think if New York decides to invest in some actual WNBA players, she'll probably do better next season. <laughs> yeah. I'm so interested to see what New York's game plan for next year is because the current <laughs> one is not working. <laughs> okay. And then who's a player you think needs a change of scenery. And I don't think we're going to be leaving the team to have this one. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they all probably need to change. I didn't get the joke at first. Um, yeah, they all probably need to change the seri- scenery from being in that bubble. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like Katie Lucimuson already had to change the scenery, but like I still don't feel like she really seems to fit that well into Dallas' system. Think so. She's kind of on that list for me. Um, I feel like that would be the biggest one. I'm trying to think. I was thinking Megan Walker. Oh, that's yes. who I had when I, I made, made the <laughs> yes. joke. Yes, <laughs> got you. Yeah, no, Megan Walker agreed. I yeah, but this season was not great for her. So I don't think anyone would argue with that. She played barely at all in a system that still doesn't make any sense. So the fact that she didn't get a lot of minutes when you just had a bunch of rookies that were basically thrown together makes it even more interesting. Yeah, I think she would benefit from going somewhere else. I said this on draft night, and I think she would make a great fit in Phoenix somewhere where they can kind of use her as like a three-point shooter, come in um, 
for that because that's where she's going to be the strongest to start and it's going to take some time I think for her to get to a level where she's going to be more competitive inside and you know defensively and at this level so I think someplace that can use their three-point shooting is going to be ideal for her um team like Phoenix makes a lot of sense yeah okay I'm gonna flip the game on you uh I'm just going to start listing players and you have to give me a superlative for them because we'll never talk about them. Let's start with Morgan Tuck. (laughs) I feel like it's not fair because she was injured all season. So just like someone that's completely plagued by injuries always, I feel like, I feel like we still haven't seen what Morgan Tuck can do with the WNBA basically. Okay. I think that's a superlative in itself. Uh, I feel like we haven't mentioned Sue Bird much. Yeah, so Subert obviously is usually someone you talk about a lot, but she's just been out from, I'd say, the majority of the season with her knee injury. I think they are, Seattle is expecting her back for the playoffs. I mean, she's still, she's what, almost 40 years old and still probably <laughs> one of the top couple point guards in the league. Like, that's just so impressive. That's not really a superlative, it's just a statement, but <laughs> like. <laughs> Best it's incredibly impressive. Who is also a point guard? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I just heard Diana too, right? Because like, they're both older, but like they're two of the oldest players in the league, and they're still two of the best players in the league. It's insane. Uh, let's go with a former Seattle player, Kalina Mosqueda Lewis. <laughs> um, Kalina's had a rough year. These are not superlatives. I'm just offering up my random <laughs> thoughts, but. <laughs> We'll, get, I mean, we'll, we'll just find something at the end. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, biggest thing about Kalina's game is that she's, you know, supposed to kind of be this big three-point threat, come in, spread the floor. That's what I think. What Connecticut's kind of game plan to use her for was, and she just has not shot well from three at all this season. So, when that's kind of supposed to be your biggest role, that doesn't allow for many minutes when you're not actually hitting threes. So. Um, hopefully maybe she'll be like unleashed in the playoffs at some point maybe she'll just like go off on thursday make me my words but um, i don't know so you're saying kalina muscata lewis is the most primed to be a secret weapon in the playoffs got it okay (laughs) kia stokes Kia Stokes is actually, I'm going to say, the best player on a bad team (laughs) like she had a decent year for new york just new york has not been great <laughs> so i feel like she kind of has gotten overlooked i feel like most people are just kind of overlooked new york as a whole at this point because they really struggled this season and like won two games just really failed to look put together at all most of the time um but yeah i don't think he had a bad year i think she's been good they just re-signed her i believe yep. for next year so seems like the- she's a long-term piece in there whatever that New York puzzle is. <laughs> <laughs> they have one plan and it involves collecting every single Kia. <laughs> so Kia Stokes, the winner of the... The one bright spot on New York this season. <laughs> there we go. The one bright spot on the team in the city of lights. <laughs> or the city that never sleeps. Uh, let's go Katie Lou Samuelson because we kind of mentioned her, but... I feel to me she's just someone that just hasn't found a good fit yet. Seattle or not Seattle, sorry. Dallas has a lot of shooters. Just part of it, 
Arike takes a lot of their shots, right? I mean, she takes mm-hmm. more shots than anyone in the league. Volume shooter. Uh, yeah, she's a big volume shooter. I think that when you have someone like that, sometimes it, when you have someone like Lou, where her biggest role is going to be her shooting, right? Like, she's going to struggle, I think, mm-hmm. for a couple of years on figuring out how to play defense at this level. Um, but her biggest asset is that, you know, three-point shot. But when you have someone that's taking a lot of those shots, it's harder, I think, for someone like her that's a pure shooter to find a role in that system. Um, so I've, I don't know. I feel like she's someone that Dallas is another system that isn't totally clear to me with like the long-term game plan is they've got a lot of young talent, a lot of shooters. There's also, in addition to Lou, there's like three other people on that team that basically could play a similar role. Um, yeah, I feel like someone that just needs to find a spot where her skill set is skill set is a good fit. So the winner of the still trying to figure things out award. Yeah. <laughs> wow, electric. Last one, I think. Mariah Jefferson. I'm just so disappointed that we didn't get to see more of her this season. I feel like, you know, she fought back from the knee injuries and then just to have it happen again was so disappointing. Yeah. Um, she didn't really kind of get full up to speed before she was out. Another one kind of more injuries than Tuck has had, but a similar boat where it's just like we haven't really seen what they can do at this level yet, even though it's been what, four seasons now. Like, right. just haven't really gotten a picture of them in the WNBA. Right. I'm going to give her the please stay healthy for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, we're going to go for an ad break and then come back with one more superlative from another UConn player who used to play in the WNBA. Okay, so I listened to a podcast with Renee Montgomery a couple weeks ago, and she said that the only person who seems to be having a good 2020 is Patrick Mahomes. But I'm (laughs) going to disagree with that. I think someone else is having a good 2020 and that is Maya Moore. So she wins the award for the having the best 2020 award. If you didn't know, Maya Moore sat out her second season to continue to fight for the release of Jonathan Irons, a family friend who she met before her freshman year at college, who was wrongly convicted for a burglary when he was 16. He was finally released. There are videos of him finally getting out of prison on Maya Moore's Instagram. And then today, Wednesday morning, she and Jonathan Irons went on Good Morning America and revealed that they are now married. So Maya Moore getting her ultimate goal, which she stepped away from basketball, accomplished, and also getting married, thats that qualifies as a good 2020. The bar is not high, but that's a good 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that would be a good year period. So to have a good something that would qualify as a good year in any year in 2020 is pretty impressive. Of course, Maya's always impressive, so not that shocking. <laughs> right. I mean, Maya Moore is like the exact type of person who could have a really good year in the middle of a pandemic when everything is just going to hell. So if anyone deserves it, it's Maya. And the story I thought was pretty incredible, just how he first asked her to marry her when she was on a prison visit, but he didn't want her to answer until he was actually released or knew he would be getting released so that she wouldn't just be married to someone in prison. And then the day he was released, they're just having a party in a hotel room and it had kind of winded down and it was just those two. And he got on his knee, asked her to marry him. She said, yes, now they're married. Good for Maya. 
just very nice feel-good story. Yeah, definitely. Kind of for once waking up to good news this morning. Was nice, <laughs> right? Like most days yeah. you wake up and it's like, oh God, what's happening today? <laughs> right. It was nice to see something positive. <laughs> so then let's go back to the WNBA a little bit. Playoffs already started up. First round already through. So two UConn or three teams with UConn players are left, <laughs> I guess. The Minnesota Lynx are playing the Phoenix Mercury. Connecticut Sun playing the Sparks the Seattle Storm still have a bye, and who's the other team with the bye? The Vegas Aces also right. have a bye. Okay. So, just give me your prediction. Who do you like in this round? Who do you like to win it all? Yeah, so in this round, um, I like Minnesota in the Minnesota Phoenix game with the caveat that I really don't like that I'm sitting here betting against Diana <laughs> in a winner-take-all game. Um, yeah, I mean, let me pull up that stat while you continue. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it. I think it's now 14-1 and one in winner-takes-all games. I want to say 7-0 in single elimination games. So, um, yeah, it's insane. So, betting against Diana Taurasi will probably make me wrong. But, I don't know, I do feel like Minnesota has been really solid all season long. They're supposed to have Sylvia, Sylvia Fowles back. That's going to be a huge difference maker for them. Um, obviously, super helpful for Nafisa to have someone else to help her out in the front court there. But if they have fouls back, I definitely like them, especially giving uh, Phoenix's injury problems in that, you know, they lost Brittany Griner. So they don't, Brianna Turner has been really good for them, but matching up with Sylvia Fowles is a whole different ball game. So um, that will be a really big advantage for Minnesota. Um, and also I'm just not ready to watch Crystal's rookie season. End, so. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, uh- Again, it's dumb to bet against Diana Taurasi, and she's probably going to listen to this, um, I imagine. <laughs> she's probably a big fan. And spite us specifically, but I do really like Minnesota. I think just the way Fisa and Crystal are playing, I, I got a good feeling about them. Yeah, I agree. I would definitely put them through if you told me I had to pick one. <laughs> right. Who you got um, for Sun and Sparks? This one is interesting. The obvious choice should be LA, right? Like they are definitely the better team, but can, or Washington just beat LA like last week. So single elimination makes things interesting and in that like, who knows what can happen. Connecticut looked really good last night. Alyssa Thomas was absolutely insane. She was like nearing a triple double in the playoffs. Um, kind of player that just like can really take over a game. LA has all the pieces that it should be LA though. So I'm going to go with the Sparks. Um, but I think it, that's the kind of the fun of the single elimination games in the yeah. WNBA playoffs. It's not always going to be the best team that's going to make it through. It's going to be who has the best night and who really steps it up. Right. It definitely does add a level of excitement. I don't know either of those teams well enough to make a prediction, but go Sparks for reasons. <laughs> so then who do you have winning it all? I'm feeling Seattle. Yeah, as long as Stewie's healthy and going Seattle as well, I think that's the big caveat, right? She was out with a minor, as far as I understand, foot injury. She is expected to be back by Sunday, so I think Seattle's going to win it. As long as Stewie's out there on the court, um, I would expect that Seattle Aces is going to be your finals. I would be kind of shocked if it goes any other way. Those are, to me, clearly the two best teams in the league right now. Um, So it'll be fun, though, Stewie versus Asia Wilson for – five games or however many it takes Seattle to beat Las Vegas but 
<laughs> right that would that would be a very fun battle especially if asia wilson gets the nod over stewie for mvp stewie would be able to get some revenge there so i guess t- to wrap it up you are suddenly the gm of a WNBA team and the playoffs are beginning but every single player is suddenly a free agent and you can pick one uconn player currently in the playoffs to have on your team who are you taking I mean, be honest, story. I mean, that's an easy question. <laughs> you don't want Diana Taurasi just for Ooh. the playoffs, though? Yeah, that's... I mean, Taurasi in the playoffs is a di- different animal, but, I mean, Storr is still the best basketball player in the world pretty much. I'd, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> right. It's basically, do you want the one that is really good, or do you want the one who just refuses to lose in the playoffs? Like, I think I'd probably take Stewie, too, but see, but then you also have to factor in the fact that if this is happening, the players are probably conscious of the picks that are happening. And <laughs> what do you think Diana Taurasi is going to do if someone decides to pick someone else besides her to lead their team? Like, she's not going to take that well. This is fair. <laughs> There's nothing quite like an angry Diana. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that I just convinced myself I'm actually picking Diana, so... <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. You can subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Read the UConn blog in Store Central. Megan, anything else? Nothing for me. And that'll do it. 